Hi, everyone. Welcome to the second episode of the Daily Objective. Thank you for being with us. And today we have with us Raka Raka Ali. Raka is a rapper, a comedian, but also a student of objectivism, and he always has interesting things to say. So our topic today is the divided United States and whether there are two Americas. And two Americas in terms of culture, in terms of beliefs, in terms of politics, and whether there is a way that these two Americans, there can be something that puts them together. So Raka, first of all, thank you very much for being with us. So I thought I've seen the worst in terms of political tribalism and in terms of divisions with the Kavanaugh case. So I come from a country where, and this country is Greece, where we've seen riots, we've had political terrorism. I don't think I've ever seen such a toxic climate as last year with the Kavanaugh case. But I think now this time feels like a civilized discussion. The thing I've seen the last two weeks on social media and the way people view the other side, I think it's very, very new. So is this something that surprised you? And do you think that this was like a qualitative new step in, 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 in tribalism? Well, Nikos, nothing uh, surprises me anymore. But um, I think, uh, you know, you could have sort of seen this coming in a certain way because um, the differences in uh, the various groups is, is often really superficial. Like a, a lot of people who um, were, they were opposed to Black Lives Matter five years ago, they thought it was um, taking, blowing things out of proportion or, or something, or they, they rightfully saw it as uh, tying the legitimate issue of police brutality to all these other things like anti-capitalism and justifying more violence and stuff like that. So a lot of those same people are currently for BLM. And what I see out, uh, happening now is like um, BLM and Occupy Wall Street has blended. Mm -hmm. So Occupy Wall Street also sort of spoke in the name of something legitimate, which was the marriage of banks to government. Legitimate, but what's the problem? They're not advocating for the divorcing of the two. They're, they were advocating for the opposite to the extent they knew what they were advocating for at all. So this sort of blend of uh, blind rage meets kind of uh, speaking in the name of a justified issue and now uh, marrying that to police, you know, the legitimate issue of police brutality blended and married to um, socialism or just the destruction of America, anti-Western, all this stuff is just sort of coming together to the point where we've got, um, we've got, you know, a, a bunch of Antifa people, a bunch of, um, a bu like, I mean, this is not like riots in the past. I mean, I'm in LA. It used to be like the, um, the neighborhoods that were being, burned down in the race riots of the early 90s were largely black neighborhoods. Today, I mean, I mean two, a week and some change ago, Beverly Hills was set on fire. I thought like this is the end of civilization. I thought like this is it. Um, so uh, how does it help, you know, how does it, ha how does it uh, address the issue of police brutality for beautiful uh, stores in Beverly Hills and at the Grove and, and all these other places to be set on fire? How does, it, uh, how does it help anyone for property to be vandalized? Um, it's clear that um, legitimate issues are being tied to other uh, causes, such as anti-capitalism. Racism and capitalism are now just used interchangeably. Yeah. I know I'm saying a lot right now in response to your question. No, no, it's, it's, it's the, these are the things that I was, also I had 
in mind that there is something new here. This is, I don't think, and I don't even think this is the same as the things we saw with Ferguson some years ago. And I wonder whether it has to do with the fact that Trump is president. And I don't mean it in the Candace Owens kind of argument, which says, oh, this is to topple Trump. I don't think consciously this is to topple Trump. But I think a big part of the country thinks that this is not my country anymore. They think that I have nothing to do with, with let's say, what holds this country together. And this brings us to the, to the main point, which is, is there anything that, calls, that holds the United States together? So at some time ago, it was, you could say it was anti-communism, which I think it was, by the way, a very shallow thing to hold a, a country together. During the Cold War, you would have, for example, the Democrats and the Republicans agree on that. Then during uh, Clinton, for example, it was again this very shallow humanitarian intervention thing, for example, in Kosovo. And you could find again this idea that, well, we stand for something and it's worth you know, bombing the Serbs or who knows whom to, to kind of defend that. I don't see this being there anymore. So you live, you live somewhere in, uh, uh, you live in California. Do you think there's anything that can, that, let's say California and Kentucky, I think Kentucky comes to mind because, for example, Rand Paul is, uh, is, is elected there. So in many people's mind, it's like this. So is there something that can hold these two states together? Is there a thread, a moral thread, a political thread, a philosophical thread, that someone who at the moment feels Trump is not my president, capitalism equals racism, this country is inherently evil, with someone who thinks Black Lives Matter is uh, the agent of destruction and they're after you know, the, the, the very core of the United States. Is there something that can hold these two communities or ideologies or, or ways of seeing the world together? Well, I mean, we're describing two different groups who are, their differences are superficial the way I see it. Their, their common enemy is capitalism, which is really individualism, which is really existence and causality when you when you boil it down i mean we are seeing the culmination of modern philosophy we're seeing the um the age of subjectivism uh and the more you the more you look at all the different intellectual movements of the last hundred years in america or political movements um i like to remind people that the progressives they were the nationalists they were the ones saying we need to be tied by by a love of our country these were the progressives these were who are you know called the leftists, which they are, and what did they do? By the way, did they just say let's be isolationist and stay here and mind our own business? No, they took they they took us into World War One because they said part of being a nation that and loving our nation means having a purpose, which takes us out and and uh, deeper than that. Um, morally, altru if altruism is correct, then it's mm -hmm. not enough for the individual to just be subjected to his country. The country itself needs to then uh, spread out and send our wealth around the world and go out and, and get entangled in various uh, foreign affairs. So, um, at, you know, the, the, the Trump fans, as well as the, the nihilistic leftists, they're ultimately angry at kind of the same things. Um, oh, there was a very interesting moment last week. So it was, it, it was actually before the riot. So it was when the big issue was Twitter. So in the, within the same 24 hours, Trump was furious with Twitter because they fact-checked him. Elizabeth Warren was furious with Facebook because they didn't fact-check Trump or something like that. 
So you could see, supposedly, the two extremes agreeing on, on something which says that we need to regulate uh, social media. But then this adds more to this huge question mark which is in this cloud in my mind. Why do these people feel that they are so opposed to each other? I mean, I, can, I don't want to play elitist, but I can understand, I can say, you know, philosophically, there are more things that, are, that you are the same than the things that divide you. But why do they think that this is an existential struggle and that they are this, uh, the, 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 there's this unbridged chasm between these two? Why, why did the Nazis and the communists feel like enemies? Um, I mean, they're, they're different camps and they've taken somewhat different routes to get to where they are. The, the nihilistic left, the egalitarians, they, I, in my understanding, they come from this postmodern uh, school that says you're, you're born and, and sort of assigned an identity and that forms the way you see the world and now you can only see the world through that prism and, and you know, you're, you're oppressed by people who are assigned a different group identity and that's kind of where the egalitarians are at. So the only way to correct that is to kind of punish anyone who has any privilege because they're oppressive and kind of reduce us all back to zero. And on the other side, you have the sort of, uh, I'll say like conservatives saying like, no, no, we're, we're, everything's biological. We're, we were given, nature gave us an identity and that also shapes how we see things and it's inescapable. So again, their, their differences are ultimately superficial. They both see that your superficial characteristics form your identity and that that's inescapable and that you're basically your worldview, your philosophy is shaped by these things. Um, so a lot of it is uh, the fact that people are impressionable and they don't, if they don't have a rational philosophy guiding them, then they're very impressionable. So if, um, if you grow up learning about the horrible history of racism, which again is a very legitimate issue and should be studied, but that is married to capitalism, told, yeah, this was capitalism's fault. And white people are also kind of interchangeable with capitalism and the, you know, white privilege, that's, that's capitalism. And you go to a biology class and you basically are taught that human beings, we're basically just monkeys with a different type of tongue so we can talk, but we're just monkeys. You know, your volition, your consciousness, your free will is just a, it's just basically an illusion. You go to philosophy class and good luck learning what reason is or how to use it or what any of it means. So there's no, uh, there's no rational uh, philosophy out there. So people, they, they end up going with kind of the sort of type of um, philosophy that makes most, most sense to them. So they go with um, the egalitarianism because they see that as, you know, fighting racism, or they go with um, this sort of Trumpian nationalistic kind of conservatism that says, hey, let, let me have some values. I don't want to destroy everything in the name of fighting inequality. Let me have my community, my family, my country. Let me be for something positive. So in both cases, you can see like kind of the positive that they're clinging to, but in both cases, they're gonna lose those things. They're not gonna be able to preserve what, what it is they say they want unless they turn to a more rational philosophy, which of course is, begins with fundamentals and it has to do with metaphysics, epistemology, and other things that most people don't wanna hear about, so. Right, um, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. very interesting what you said, and it could be a whole episode, the, the, the link between egalitarianism and racism. And because in, on a first level, you would say these are the complete opposites. 
But basically, if you say by egalitarianism that I don't judge you in terms of your value, you are to be judged as, you know, are you the receiver? Are you the exploiter or the exploited? In a way, it's the same dehumanizing element with racism, which is, I don't see you as Rakai, but you're part of this group, and this group needs to give to that group, or that group needs to give to, to this group. But that's, that's, that's another issue. I have two more issues that I want to discuss with you. The first is, we have the, the elections in November, and in a way, we already know that whoever wins, the other side says, this is not my president. And people throw around stuff like, uh, no, actually, every, in every election, we hear this is the most important election in a lifetime. It kind of sounds like true this time, and the same happened the previous time. So what do you think is gonna, what do you think is gonna happen? Not in terms of who's gonna win, but in terms of whoever wins, how will the culture wars go on? And I don't use the term to make light of what is happening. Culture wars is not Milo fighting in university with SJWs. The culture wars is unfortunately what substitutes the battle of ideas. Because there are no ideas, the, the, the culture wars is now, let's say, the, 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 the privileged terrain for this. So how do you see this evolving, going towards the election and past the elections? I mean, it, it, look, it's hard to say. Um, if, if Trump does win, uh, hopefully that kind of makes everybody <laughs> frustrated and, and sort of mellow out, which I think is what happened after Obama won his second term. Like a lot of people on the right just kind of mellowed out. Um, and, and they just kind of let it go until they were obviously revitalized a few years later. Um, it, it's hard to know what happens. Uh, I, li I like to think uh, we haven't yet gotten to the point where people are going to, you know, riot and, um, and act crazy when, when they lose an election. But, I mean, we, we, saw, we saw that the, la the last election, and um, the people are only more volatile and anxious and uh, temperamental today. Uh, phew, I hate to say it, but like Biden actually seems like kind of a, uh, <laughs> like relatively, uh, mellow option. Like, uh, just kind of like if like him, him winning doesn't, uh, sounds like kind of like, uh, taking a break from all of this. But anyway, um, I don't pay that much, that much attention to electoral politics. I am more interested in sort of the battle of ideas and what's happening in the culture because politics is the final stage of the game. Um, but yeah, we are only going to get more divided. Um, the way, I mean, if I had to predict. Right. So, and this division brings me to the last point, which is, can the United States continue operating as one country, putting under its umbrella all these people? Now, for the record, I think it will continue. But you hear specifically for libertarians quite often saying, well, okay, let's admit that this didn't work. Let's admit that Someone in San Francisco and someone in Kentucky, they have different values. There are different things that they consider important. They, they don't want to live with each other anymore. So let's just say this didn't work and let's go our own separate ways. Whether this would mean, I don't know, more of a loose union or whatever. But then we, uh, we people who enjoy reading Ayn Rand, we've read that essay called Global Balkanization which basically says that this is, this is not for the best. It's not that you're going to say, oh, here we're going to have the people who will stand for reason and they're going to secede, let's say, because they're going to build this United States as it, had, as it 
the declaration of independence wanted to be, I can easily see like this more and more splits towards more and more and more authoritarianism, whether this can be in terms of uh, women's reproductive rights on the one side or on the other side, the, you know, the, the rituals you have to go through to cleanse yourself from your white supremacy. What do you think about this idea that says, let's give it a break, it, it won't work anymore? I mean, give, give what a break? Uh, the country, the unity of the country? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've, I've seen, like, look, I think a lot of libertarians, they've morphed into the alt-right. A lot of those people are, they, they were former libertarians. A lot of them have read Rand and superficially went with it. And if you ask them, they would say, look, yeah, I'm an, I'm an individualist. I wanted that, but it's obviously not happening. So let's go with, uh, you know, what seems to be backed up by science, that we're all part of this biological group, et cetera, et cetera. And they are calling for balkanization based on race. So they look, so, you know, we all saw the same video of uh, the police officer killing George Floyd. But the way we interpret that is the province of philosophy. The left see this as the culmination of capitalism run amok and white privilege, which is sort of married to capitalism. The, you know, uh, biological, ethnocentric right, the new right, whatever they are, uh, they see this as further proof that we all weren't meant to live together as different races, different groups. So let's just go off our separate ways. And of course, as an objectivist, I see this as the culmination of the lobby system, cronyism, 100 plus years of not having a clear understanding of what the government's job even is. So what does that do to the psychology of a police officer when when his whole career is spent becoming increasingly cynical because he's unable to protect rights, he's disincentivized and punished for investigating an actual violation of rights and only uh, paid to go out and find drug dealers. I mean, there, there's just so much that goes into um, what a lobby system does to people. Um, you know, Trump does things that, that if Obama did would freak people out 10 times more. Like the way people would respond to Obama, you know, criticizing the media, people said, who, who does this guy think he is? Trump, he just gets on Twitter, says whatever passes through his head. He's absolutely out of his mind, threatening companies over Twitter and in his speeches. Um, it would freak a lot of people out if, if a Democrat was doing that. Um, they would say this is the end of liberty. And um, so the, the people critical of Trump, like most groups of, ideolo of ideologues, they have some kernel of truth in what they're upset about. But of course, their solution is often not what it needs to be. Um, if I could just uh, say this, um, I've seen a lot of people respond to the protests, the riots, and saying, and saying, why are you more upset about vandalism or, or looting than you are about the loss of human life? But my response to that is, how can you separate the two? How can you separate the two? The two are contingent. You cannot live without the knowledge that your property is going to be protected. You cannot plan for the future. You can't, I mean, George Floyd can't live in a world where his property can be vandalized. So I will offer people the following. If you want to live in a world, if you want to get to a world where the police are not choking people to death, where that is happening never or almost never, we need to stop treating the violation of property rights as if it's just a matter of course. As if, yeah, if the government needs to do it for utilitarian purposes, sure. Or if... Uh, or, or if um, anxious, volatile protesters smash a window. Yeah, that's what happens in protests. Yeah, what, big deal. Or even after baseball games. This needs to be unacceptable for property to be vandalized. Although with baseball games or, or sports riots, it's not justified on moral grounds by people. So it's not 
not as concerning as what I'm seeing. If it, we need to stop, uh, of course, that's the province of philosophy. We need to understand the nature of man requires not only the right to speak, but the right to the fruits of his labor, his property. This needs to be an inalienable right, or else we're not going to get a world where the police aren't killing people. We're just not going to get there. So I'm trying to help everybody here. I'm trying to, I'm trying to make everybody's day. Do I ever get thanked? Rarely. <laughs> well, these are very good parting words because that could be a good integrating factor, respecting these ideas and realizing how important these ideas are for people's life. But look, we're out of time. Thank you so much for being with us today. You're going to co-host a lot of these events. So let's hope next time we're going to have something more upbeat and something more, let's say, optimist to, to discuss. Thank you very much for being with us. Thanks, everyone. Tomorrow we're going to be here, same time, and see you there. Have a good afternoon, evening, wherever you are. Bye-bye.